Welcome to this episode of the Knowledge Institute, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. Today, I am happy to be joined by Dr. Mariana Bozasan, co-founder and president for AQAL Capital, a leading impact investment firm based in Munich. This is the research we are doing at the Knowledge Institute and why I'm so excited to have you with us today. To give a little bit of context, the Knowledge Institute is conducting research on talent acquisition and development in this disruptive digital age. We're looking at it in three dimensions, workforce, workplace, and the work itself. We've surveyed over a thousand people in seven countries. We've talked to executives, academic leaders who are preparing students for the future. We thought it would be really good to add this dimension with your background, what you're seeing in Germany, and what you're seeing as an impact investor. Perhaps even more importantly, we're interested in your perspective from your work with the United Nations and the Club of Rome and your other activities on sustainability and equality. Welcome, Mariana. And could you tell a bit about yourself and your background? Okay, my background. I am a computer scientist by education, and um, I have studied artificial intelligence back in the 1980s when most people didn't even know what computer science was. I've got a PhD in psychology because as an investor, I realized very soon how important psychology is to the success of not only of investees, but us as investors and company builders. And uh, I found that uh, to be neglected by most traditional investors. And so um, because I came across some extraordinary tools that could help bring a more integral sustainability view into the business world and the investment world, I thought that I needed those two legs to stand on. So I'm a technology investor, exponential technology, artificial intelligence. I have invested in companies and built companies. Uh, one of which is the first internet company that went public on the German stock exchange. It was the uh, internet service provider uh, back in the pre-bubble, actually, 1998. And my current view and strategy on investing is to make transformation feasible uh, in the light of the climate change threats and other threats that existential threat, nuclear threat, and artificial intelligence threat uh, that we're currently experiencing. So I believe that uh, we need science to be applied within the latest discoveries within the business world and investing. And I, as a member in the International Club of Rome, I am hoping to make the transition feasible. We have, everyone is talking about the uh, sustainable development goals, and I totally agree with. However, I think that they are contradictory in terms with one another. For instance, if we apply number one, no poverty uh, at any cost, as uh, we have done over the past several decades, we will burn fossil fuels to help people get out of poverty. And uh, the planetary boundaries, uh, the operating system of the planet are suffering and uh, will not sustain life the way we know, know it. So... We need to take a, a more integral view of the world, and we need to make sure that we implement the UN SDGs within the operating system of the planet, the planetary boundaries, which have been defined by scientists and which are nine. So this is what I'm doing. I'm uh, investing with, with the main focus to build companies that are integrally sustainable and that are ensuring the future of life. 
what are some of the education and training aspects of companies making this transition in a feasible way as you're evaluating investment candidates or, or looking at research? What do you see with talent and skills development that's either helping or hindering this feasible transition? Things. I see a dysfunctional investment in business world that has a very hard time understanding in what direction to go and how to address the the existential threats that we have. I see an investment in a business and a financial world that has not understood that we only have 11 years to address the climate issues that we have. And I see an industry that even if some of the participants have understood that we do have these issues, we are pretty lost as to the implementation, as to what to do to participate in any way, shape, and form that we can, starting with entrepreneurs, businesses, uh, but also financial industry and, and investors. I'm really not trying to be negative, but we really, really have to move fast. And uh, so it's kind of hard to, um, to answer your question because I'm, I'm working at various levels. As an investor in technology companies, we build early-stage companies. from We try to build integrally sustainable companies from the very beginning. What does that mean? That means that when we build companies from the beginning, that we look at a team that understands all the context and the integral issues that we, you know, we, the, the entire picture. And we have developed various steps to do the due diligence process, that which helps us understand that um, people that we're investing in really truly get the picture and are ready and willing and able to work with the capital towards the implementation of the UN SDGs within planetary boundaries. And so I think this is the first step. I think people have to understand that our aim for the next 11 years is to help build companies and organizations that are empowered to implement the UN SDGs within planetary boundaries. There's no point in investing in any other company but the ones that understand that this is priority number one. So this is the strategy that they need to understand and build their um, their company on. So how do we go about implementing that? How do you make sure that, let's say, uh, we get a couple of hundred deals over the year, uh, and uh, how do we do the screening and how do we do the due diligence and what are, what is the process? The process is contains five steps. Number one is uh, is the traditional financial due diligence that every investor goes through. Why that is important is because financial sustainability just as important as environmental sustainability, the social sustainability. There is no point in uh, choosing one over the other. Our motto is the parity, the equality between people, planet, and profit, and with passion and purpose. These are the six Ps. It's a summary, it's a motto that makes it simple for people to follow. So what does that mean? The parity means that there is an equality in the way we look at financial sustainability, social sustainability, environmental sustainability, and personal joy and happiness. There's no point in doing what we're doing and suffering because people can't do that for a long time. So 
So a personal road through life is just as important as, you know, having something to eat or being in a socially feasible environment and environmentally safe and so on. So the first step in the evaluation process is the traditional business plan, evaluation, legal, due diligence, patents, blah, 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 to see is there a business. Number two, which is what most investors already don't do, is the sustainability aspect. Based on, you know, the very metrics, you could go to UNSDG, there are 200 and I don't know how many, 70. Uh, you can go to GIN, uh, the Irish can go to GEARS with the B, uh, the B Corp and other measurement criteria that we look at and we ask our investees to look at and see which ones of these sustainability criteria fit with their business and which ones are they willing to address and report. So this is the second assessment. Uh, number three is the team assessment, whether the team works together because it doesn't make any sense if the team doesn't work together. Uh, 80% of the risk of any company, any investment, lies with the team. Number four are the individual of the people in the team, individual assessment. What does that mean? People tell you a lot of stuff. And if you look at the traditionally at the investment industry, venture capital, which is the one that, you know, I'm in and is high risk. But, I mean, it's very important because 60 to 80 percent of any economy throughout the world is fueled by the early stage, by a small and medium enterprise. So uh, just because it's a small company doesn't mean, or a startup, it doesn't mean that they are le they're less important in the uh, overall picture. So it's assessment of individuals serve to make sure that what people tell you is what they really that they have the capability to really fulfill what you know what the promises if you look at the industry and I'm doing a lot of generalizations here is uh, you find two liars sitting standing in front of each other you find the venture capitalists lying to the uh, limited partners saying oh we're going to deliver you the unicorns and uh, this world you're going to make a lot of money and so on and so on. If you look at the performance in the past of the venture capital as an industry as a whole, they have not performed. They have not kept their promises. And, you know, the environmental degradation, to me, even to those who have performed, is not an example for success. It's actually an example for failure because they went after the money only. And we cannot eat, drink, or breathe money at the end of the day when our environment is dead. So the other liar is the entrepreneur. If you uh, if they go to the venture capitalist and ask for money, they know what the VC is looking for. So their mind is as well as the VC towards the LP. Oh, I'm going to deliver you the J curve within two years. Blah 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 blah. And so this is something that actually nobody really wants to do, but is you know the common understanding that it is expected. So we're coming in and uh, try to create a totally, and not try, create a totally different different uh, structure. Uh, you know, what is the truth? Why are you doing this? What makes you believe that, you know, you're going to be the last one going to bed and you're going to be the first one getting out of bed in the morning? So what else is, what is the mission? What is your purpose? Because this is what the, the, the hidden determinant that drives this team. So this is number four in the test, and then we do, of course, the uh, gap analysis and decide whether or not we're going to invest. And of course, apart from the day-to-day -day business of building companies or identifying investees and investing in them and, and guiding them, monitoring uh, them, uh, keeping them on track, 
we, of course, work a lot with regulators because, as you know, the biggest elephant in the room is the single most important criteria for success around the world. And the West is exporting this stupid paradigm that goes for, for profit only at the expense of people and the planet. So all the business schools, all, you know, the only criterion for success is for profit only. And of course, our financial world, the business world, is, measures their success by this factor only. It's for profit only. All the other factors, environment, social, uh, governance, and so on, are considered KPIs. They're not part of the elephant in the room. So that's why one of the biggest uh, activities that we do is, you know, try to change that. This is what I'm doing with the Club of Rome. I'm also a fellow in the World Academy of Arts and Science. So we're really doing a lot of lobbying work to help people show that actually they lower their investment risk, their business risk, by adding what they call right now externalities to people and the planet, to be very short. So I can tell you, as of now, it was just published in June, the European Commission published the taxonomy as a result of the work in the Club of Rome and others for sustainable finance, where they have included the so-called externalities into the taxonomy. I think if we can now start to converge a little bit, go into the talent side. So, for example, sustainable finance, what are you looking for as companies grow and what are you seeing successful companies do to grow their talent? maybe a broader appreciation. You know, there's a, there's a dearth or a famine of the right kind of talent out there for many kinds of technology and even for the new clean energy or sustainable things people are trying to do, there's a lack of talent, let's say, or skills. What do you see with that gap or, or, or shortage? And also, what do you see as well, a way to overcome it? Now that you have the framework with which we operate the first the five steps, what I clearly see is, and I can only speak for early stage and small and medium enterprises, the small enterprises basically, is that um, there is no budget for talent development in this environment. Uh, small and medium enterprises that struggle, particularly in Europe, if there is capital to help people, you know, in the very early stages. There is no growth capital. There is no further in the, in capital to help people grow to the next level. So they go to Silicon Valley, and so we lose the talent. But even if you go to Silicon Valley, there is no investment whatsoever being done, in, in my personal assessment, in talent development other than cognitive development. So when it comes to coaching and personal development, the investments are not done. There are companies such as Google who um, have introduced meditation and uh, mindfulness, this and that and the other, and I could go into that. But I dare say that the only reason why they do that is to keep people more at work through food, through exercise, you know, providing them all the amenities. I personally believe that this meditation, mindfulness stuff, and I'm talking now about Silicon Valley, is going backfire because uh, people won't stay, won't allow to be exploited as they have been this far. So that's going to backfire. Free people who really um, have freed themselves through meditation won't put up with, uh, you know, working around the clock. Now, let's come back to Europe and to talent development. 
again, in early stage, I don't see much. Um, we emphasize that. We allocate 3% of the investment amount uh, or even more when needed to game developer because we consider that to be key. But that's not part of the, uh, what, how the industry operates. The traditional venture capital approach is to uh, have an exit quicker, uh, uh, quicker rather than later. So if the startups uh, want any kind of development, they have to do it on, do it on their own. But within this uh, fast-moving world and uh, considering the fact that, you know, we have huge competition from China and they do have a, um, a different mindset, a different culture, uh, working even harder than people in, in Silicon Valley or in America, then the competition is huge and there's even less room for personal development. Now, coming to those who do allocate resources, time and money, uh, to to develop, there is a rather large movement of people who have left corporate America and uh, turned toward uh, becoming coaches, toward meditation. Uh, there is this entire culture creative movement, Lohat, who moved toward uh, you know vegan eating lifestyles and stuff, meditation and personal development. You find that too. And we, uh, we see it very clearly that more and more young people are coming from a different mindset, uh, less egocentric and more world-centric. And we see that very clearly also in the response to the movement that was started by uh, Greta Thunberg with her uh, Fridays for Future by the young people. And I, I think Europe, uh, Europe is taking the lead mm -hmm. uh, with respect to sustainable finance, sustainable investing, changing the mindset. We do not expect that to come from either uh, the Americas nor from uh, Asia, from China. AI-empowered uh, tools that disintegrate our privacy. But uh, what's currently happening in Europe in response to the Fridays for Future youngsters movement is we see how the traditional parties, for instance, uh, the conservatives and the democratic parties, are losing to the Green Party uh, that is up and coming fast, but also to the uh, regressive to the Nazis. So at the same time, the European Union is within this, uh, how should I say, tension is responding to the Fridays for Future movement, who are the kids. Greta, you know, being a 15-year-old girl, now 16, um, has called uh, the youngsters pupils into the streets. And so they are responding, and I would think that uh, this entire sustainable finance movement from the European Commission with the taxonomy and, uh, you know, changing the legislation and trying to address the elephant in the room and so we see support as investors and company builders. We see support uh, from that end because we, you know, it's, it, there's no point, no matter how rich you are, and we're not Warren Buffett. You know, there's not enough capital to um, make uh, to shift the industry the way we do business. So we need pension funds. We need uh, money managers to join in. Uh, individual investors like us you know, don't can don't move that much capital. So as a result of the, uh, of the fiscal policy of the European Commission over the past 10 years where there is no interest rate, and now the, uh, the green movement, pension funds are finally moving and uh, are investing heavily, more heavily willing to invest in sustainable, in renewable energy. So this is something that is helpful, and this is why we um, invoked the climate endowment 
we announced it on, on June 5th, where pension funds have uh, decided to invest in renewable energy, and uh, we are willing to allocate between 20 and, uh, and 40 billion euros into this field to show how it can be done, so lead the way, so to speak. But that's a, that's a first for us because we are usually we're not money managers, we're uh, money owners. But we need to step in, otherwise nothing will, uh, you know, it'll it, it'll change, take more time to to shift in the right direction. What have you found effective to develop people to go from where they are and to be more successful as as things continue to change? Because you are you are investing in technology, you are investing in these new firms. What are the skills that you're trying to make sure that people develop to be successful well, there going are, forward? Um, there are several. In terms of the team, one of the tools that we use is five dysfunctions of the team. That's by Lencioni. So this is one tool when, uh, where we assess how much trust there is in the team. Uh, we work with, uh, with trainers, coaches, in order to... Um, to make those assessments and to develop the team. Uh, but to the five dysfunctions of the team uh, are, for instance, absence of trust, uh, fear of conflict, lack of commitment, avoidance to account- accountability, and inattention to results. So this is one of the things that we do before when we do our due diligence. And depending on what comes out of, uh, of this, uh, we then develop a plan that the team in which we invest will be developed. However, if there is no trust in the team, that's a, um, that's a sign not to invest. The reason why we do this is to do risk our investment. And once the investment is done, then um, we can develop the team. Another tool that we use in terms of the um, individual assessment is the LDMA, the Leadership Lectical Decision Making Assessment where we look at the ability of individuals to collaborate, so the collaborative capacity, how able are they to take different perspectives and uh, develop inclusive and innovative and effective solutions. That's an extremely important aspect. You mentioned inclusivity back then. And of course, that, the premise for that is the ability to collaborate. Uh, if you're not able to collaborate with one another, then you won't see the perspective of the other. The number two um, factor that is tested in, um, in this LDMA tool that we have often used over the past uh, decade is contextual uh, thinking. That's the ability to consider problems in terms of a broader systems and context. If we, we are looking for people who are willing to implement or able and able to implement uh, no matter what, whether they develop a healthcare device or an AI system, they have to... Uh, look uh, to think in a, a higher context. They have to be able to take a world view, not an egocentric view of the world, but an, uh, and not an ethnocentric, which would mean, oh, my tribe is the best, like uh, make America great again, but take a, uh, a world view, because only then they will be able to see the climate threat that we are having, the nuclear threat, the AI threat, and so on. Number three is cognitive complexity. Of course, um, intelligent people is important because they, even if their moral sense is not that developed, if they are intelligent enough, they are able to grow to a level of consciousness where they see the greater, bigger picture. That's the premise. Whereas when cognitive intelligence is lacking, uh, 
then you can't, of course, you can work hard, but you will not reach what you want to reach. These tools help us, you know, identify the, the capacity to grow vertically, vertically, meaning to later stages of development, uh, away from egocentric. Uh, just to give an example, one of the biggest problems that we have, particularly when it comes to artificial intelligence, is, and you probably heard of it, is cognitive bias. People develop uh, AI applications that reflect their own levels of consciousness or that of their uh, tribe, right? So you see that with women, you see that with a different race, you see that with different countries and nations and so on. So people develop applications based on their thinking. So if we want to avoid developing AI systems that are racist or not inclusive or whatever you want, you need to make sure that the programmers go be educated beyond their artificial intelligence tools and skills and computer science, this and that and the other, and all this complexity, but get educated in terms of uh, morals and ethics and uh, world-centric views and so on. And think outside the box. And that's currently not the case. So when we invest, we want to make sure that the people in which we are invested already have that training. And uh, we need to make an assessment how far we want to go in terms of investing further in order to compensate for that lack, uh, lack of education. And uh, so that's a very complex issue. This is perfect because it complements, like I said, the traditional approach that a lot of large companies you know, have to take from going from in-house training to platforms and a lot of the basic things that they do. But you're taking a very uh, diagnostic and very um, developmental and, and holistic approach because you're dealing with smaller numbers of people and you also have a different purpose in mind. A couple of big questions uh, remaining. First, what are the sources of talent that you're finding? Are the traditional ways working where you, you pull people from university or traditional paths or or there's some non-traditional avenues well, as well. That we've you're been in this market. We've been investors for 25 years, 20 more than 25 years. So we we receive those applications from universities. Um, we don't even have to do much. We're known. People find us, but we, we have regular. We go to conferences and receive applications. And uh, of course, universities and research institutes are a great source for uh, for this kind of ideas and, and companies. I would like to go back to the, the vertical learning and the horizontal uh, development growth. When the model that we are actually using is Ken Wilber's integral model. This is uh, the foundation of our investment. One of the smartest people on the planet today, uh, he's the inventor of integral theory. And I have not come across over the past, I don't know, decades, any model that is more inclusive than, uh, and more developed than the philosophers. So basically what he's using, he's taken uh, the platonic values, the true, the good, and the beautiful, or arts, morals, and science, and says, well, these are aspects of the human life that cannot be reduced to one another. You cannot, these beauty and individual subjective uh, opinion of who you are in yourself cannot be reduced to what the society outside the environment is, uh, nor what scientific method does. These aspects of who I show up, my behavior is a direct function of who I am on the inside and the culture that I live in. And so 
every exterior, there is an interior. And this is extremely important. Once we understood that as human beings, then we will stop reducing the world to one aspect, namely the outside, because we spend our days looking on the outside and we believe that that's us. But those of us who've spent some time <laughs> looking at the world from a different perspective, we know that that is not true. So the interior actually is much bigger. The subconscious is much bigger than the conscious, and uh, it influences us. So when we do development of any kind, personal development of ourselves or that of teens, we need to keep that in mind and consider that the interior is much, much more powerful than the exterior. But if you look at the world that we have created, we have eliminated morals and ethics and culture from the scientific point of view and very much to the detrimental of our joy and happiness, individual one. But evolution keeps going. And so all of us who are familiar with the Maslow pyramid know that eventually we all want to self-actualize, to go to the top of the pyramid. But if we want to change the world and make it better, we need to fulfill the bottom of the pyramid. Otherwise, everything falls apart like a house of cards. So in other words, if you go into the vertical development of an organization, you need to make sure that horizontally, that the culture and the person is happy as well. Because we all know that people who go out and kill other people, they have had a bad childhood. Um, the, the environment didn't take care of them. Uh, and it all falls back to all of us. So we're not that separate after all. So, But I don't want to become philosophical, although this is a very philosophical and this is a very spiritual thing. I've been a meditator for 40 years. If you want to go into the levels of development, there are other models. For instance, Action Logic, uh, Suzanne Cook-Reuter is one of my great teachers and role models. She developed the uh, leadership development test that we also use. The sentence completion test is another uh, vertical development tool that helps us make a, um, a quick assessment of the people that we're talking to, because everyone that you talk to has their his or her level of consciousness on their lips. The words that we use, they are a direct reflection of where we stand on the inside. So Robert Keegan of Harvard and Suzanne Cookwriter of Harvard, they have developed tools based on the language development of uh, individuals in order to make that assessment quickly. So there are various action logic from um, the opportunist to the ironic. And there, there are also numbers that share in terms of leaders, CEOs of bigger companies, what percentage are at what level. For instance, 30% of the U.S. Uh, adults are achievers, uh, which are focused on delivering results and effectiveness and so on. And only 0.5% are focused on what we would currently need, a world-centric view of the world, where we consider the environment and implementing the UN SDGs or other people around the planet get to have a good life as well within planetary boundaries. So, and if you look at these numbers, and I, you know, I've written extensively on this, we need to help people evolve quicker to where they have a more world-centric view rather than an egocentric or an ethnocentric view. And we see in all, the, if you look at Hungary, for instance, Orban or Trump in the United States, you see how regressive we are currently working, you know, uh, becoming more protective and trying to raise more walls rather than become more open and help each other and support each other because we don't have a worldview and understanding that we're actually the bad air doesn't stop at national borders. In, in summarizing, we use tools to, uh, to make these assessments. 
and help people through their activities, in our case, company building and organizations contribute. And get rid of the separation because people are not happy if they're doing one thing. You need to, uh, it's just like doing sports. You have to have a spiritual practice. You have to have a physical practice. You can't go and work out once and then, oh, that's done for the rest of my life. You have to continue growing. And yet in a, in, in a company setting, the frameworks are not in place so that people can feel appreciated and supported anyway. So we try to change that. One large question I think that's been implied in a lot of what you said also is how can governments or public organizations work with the private sector to bring about better development of talent and well, better evolution? Uh, <laughs> very great question, and I'm sure you have many answers. My view is that education is key. And um, if you have children like you do and I do, then you know that our kids have become rebellious against the current educational systems and systems in general and the structures that we've put in place that do not reflect their own levels of consciousness. They do not reflect their understanding of the world. And, uh, and yet we still force them to go to school and get the degree that they actually detest because they, uh, they reject their professors. I see so much around me, young people, brilliant people, smart people, who just refuse to go to traditional universities and, and acquire uh, regular diplomas. They, uh, particularly in the West, I know that's different in, in China, but they they refuse to play the game because they see the bigger picture. So I hear everywhere I go, the kids of my friends, you know, they go to university, oh, this is an elite university, let me study this and that and the other. And after a while, they see that their professors don't even speak English properly. They have not the same amount of information as they do through the internet because the old professors don't use the tools, skills, the internet, the platforms. They don't have a clue about what's going on in the world, but the young people do. And so uh, the respect is not there. So I'm very curious as to how quickly you're asking what the governments can do, uh, how, how quickly the governments are learning. They are just as helpless and hopeless locked, uh, you know, in responding to uh, the new technology. We haven't talked about the exponential tech, which is actually, uh, as an, I invested in the internet, we saw it in the mid-90s in, in Silicon Valley, actually, at the same time when Elon Musk saw it, and we didn't invest the same way he did. <laughs> we came over, he came to Germany. But exponential tech is here, and our structure, our systems have not kept up. We don't even have fast internet. We don't, uh, let alone our systems, you know, professors don't use in Europe, and I'm sure that's not different in, in India or Silicon Valley is probably the exception. The professors of my, my son in, in high school would even have an email. They wouldn't use email. I couldn't write them an email, and I'm not the exception. I'm the rule. We are hopelessly locked to exponentially growing technology, so I don't know that uh, humans will evolve as fast as uh, the AIs will evolve. And we will probably begin to use them to save ourselves quicker than, uh, than we think. And I hope we will. That's my hope. I hope that technology will help us overcome the problems that we have right now because we don't understand, we don't grow as fast as technology does. And our kids get it. So 
the response to a long answer to your question is I believe the education system needs to change. It needs to change fast. Unfortunately, those who can't change it don't get it. So I, I don't know. Maybe the Chinese will uh, get there faster because they don't have old structures to sustain or that are pulling them back. But what I don't like about the Chinese um, aspect is as an old communist, I grew up in communist Romania. I used to, uh, for years after moving to Germany, uh, we used to speak, uh, uh, you know, very uh, low voice because we were afraid that the walls were listening. And now uh, we have our own devices that are listening in bed with us. So, but we don't have the moral laws to prevent, uh, you know, Facebook from giving our information away because we didn't catch up early enough to what can happen to us. And so now we're pretty lost to unethical people like Zuckerberg, for instance, to decide our future. So I am very militant in my approach, and I think we have to be. Otherwise, we're going to lose our privacy. And as long as Snowden is not allowed to come back to home to his family, something is wrong with what we call democratic systems. Appreciate the uh, commentary. Uh, obviously, brilliant thoughts, and I uh, appreciate you sharing them. The last big question that I had was, if you're speaking to the a leader in a large company, so let's just say in Europe, in the U.S., and anywhere in, in the world, you large company, and they're trying to grapple with how to develop their people and do it in, in an enlightened way, as you mentioned, what, what advice would you give to, to that senior to start, executive? Um, becoming more humble and start growing themselves and begin to look at the world, not on the outside, but on, on the inside and listen and talk to young people, teenagers, and see what they care about and try to unlearn what they know because what they know is old and outdated. And even if you don't, didn't like the remarks I made, uh, the political remarks I made, they are very much connected to what I would tell them because it's not right. And as long as we're not allowed to talk like this freely and to address these issues, we are creating the wrong systems that are detrimental to our own. So personal growth and education and team growth and company development is intimately connected to the freedom that we can have as a democracy. And how can you create a democracy in a company and develop your team if on the outside you're not allowed to say what you want to say, and if your own government doesn't implement the thing to protect the right law, to protect you and your privacy. I appreciate you saying that, and uh, one of the reasons why I really enjoy talking with you and, and uh, like the panel we had before was that there was such a uh, diversity of opinion, and also some of these things were brought out very, uh, very clearly, and it was, it was in a healthy, healthy environment. Is there any last thing you'd like to add? Uh, well, uh, thank you for we doing the work you're doing, and um, I wish you good luck with uh, with it. I'm curious uh, uh, <laughs> to what the result is of your research, because I'm not the traditional corporate person. I'm building small and, and, and enterprises and doing investing and trying to change the way we build companies from the very beginning, because that's where our hope is, in my view. That's where young people can get access to capital to um, make their dreams come true and create a new society that is more evolved and more responsive to the needs of a growing population and of the suffering earth. 
And if these people are not supported uh, with money, with tools, with skills, with the appropriate, appropriate legislation, then everything will fall apart. Thank you so much for uh, Same here. Thank your you time. so much, Jeff. Uh, as a person who grew up yeah. very conservatively and has been an evolution, of course, having a lot of good, uh, diverse uh, opinions and, and environments, you know, over the years, especially <laughs> trying to shut up and listen a little more often. I really enjoyed your discussion. Some of it's uncomfortable because it's not a polite, how do you train a few more people? How does somebody make a, you know, more profit? It's a broader discussion. And I try to put forward this whole idea of a triple bottom line, you know, people, planet, and profits, not quite your six Ps, but um, the way you've articulated it is um, so much more, so much more depth and uh, reach. And also, I do think no, no change happens unless, until people are beyond their comfort zone. And there are status quos that have to be challenged somewhat, either extremely aggressively, or at least more quickly than they are today. So I think whatever that that range is, it does need to change. And um, hopefully we can work together. And to the extent that I can, this Knowledge Institute, the Infosys Knowledge Institute, one goal that I have is that part of our work is above and beyond typical corporate work and that we will be affected. So I appreciate what you said. It's challenging, it's inspiring, and we'll take it one step at a time. In the, in the meantime, please keep doing what you're doing. I really appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>